Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people, and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about commandment number four of the Ten Commandments. Now we're going to deal with the why. We've got the what, the how. How do we honor the day? Let's deal with the why. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I was listening to Vodi Bakum and he said, you know, you imagine... Someone coming to you and saying, you believe that the Lord made everything in, on this planet in a week? And Bodhi responded, no, in six days. He rested on the seventh day. And there are people who will mock this idea today. Scientific minds in the secular world, oh, that's ridiculous. God making everything in six days. And some of you even say six literal 24-hour days. How is that possible? Well, let me ask you this question, and I'll ask it to the so-called secular scientist. Do you know what they believe? They believe that everything that you see, the millions of forms of plants and animals, the stars, the cosmos, the, the incredible order of the moon and the sun and the oceans and plant life and sea life and your body... Uh, with it, its incredible systems of keeping you alive and self-healing and reproduction and so many things that we could talk about, that all happened by chance. And nobody's behind it. This is Darwinian evolution. They believe that something started swirling in the sky eons ago, and all of a sudden, planets began to be shot out. This is what they believe. And one of those planets got really hot and then it rained on that planet for about 20 million years. And from the soupy substance created and lightning strikes that hit, the soupy substance was New England clam chowder, just in case you wondered. <laughs> a lightning strike hit and <laughs> out came your great, 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 great granddaddy. And he found a wife and something to eat. And from that time, now they won't explain it the way I just explained it to you. But that is literally what they believe. And they call us unscientific. Imagine I said to you that over millions of years, this building, as a miracle of evolutionary processes, came together. Doors flew into place, paint colors on the wall. You know, scriptures just appeared. You know, the wind just went exactly the right way. Light bulbs screwed into the ceiling. As the wind just perfectly hit the side. And at first surface, I said, oh, come on, man. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I, and I got a chuckle, and I wasn't even trying to imitate anybody. Now, this idea comes from the book of Genesis, just the book before chapter 2, in the creation account. So before there was ever a nation of Israel, or um, God had chosen Abraham... There's a creation account in Genesis chapter 2. Here's what it says. And if you go back to verse 31, you can get the setting. Uh, remember, in your Bible, chapter breaks were implemented by a guy 
who uh, did a pretty good job, but he literally did this while riding a horse. And I'm not kidding around. He put the chapter breaks in riding on horseback. So you got to forgive him a little bit. But I say that because I think Genesis 131 goes with 2-1. Take a look. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens, Genesis 2-1, and the earth were completed and all their hosts By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now you can see the pattern there. Before there's a nation of Israel, you have the idea of the Sabbath day. God is giving us a rhythm of life to follow. This account is laughed at by much of the world. They say that's ridiculous. In fact, they dismiss Genesis chapters 1 through 11, which explain everything that's happened to mankind, including the fall, how sin entered the world, how we need a redeemer, and the flood story. It's all there. And I was watching the news yesterday, which I don't recommend. (laughs) And there was coverage of a store where people had stolen all this merchandise. A worker from that store is standing there, can't do anything about it. And the people are shoving the stuff they've stolen into their vehicle. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it because our culture has become so upside down. And and I, I couldn't help but think, we're back in Genesis 6, man. We're back into a time where we're moving close to it, where the thoughts and intents of the heart are only evil continually. What is going on? Have we returned to the book of Genesis? I tell you, man, you watch the laws, you know, coming down the pike in America and you're like, you got to be kidding. Another one, another one, another one. Where does it stop? You get away from this order and the king that put it into place. And this is what we get. We get chaos, brethren. You think that we're headed for a utopia if mankind has his secular dream realized? You know what his secular dream is? Socialism. Which, by the way, has been bankrupt in every single country it's been tried. We, we just met with a brother. I believe he comes from Ethiopia. And they tried it for 17 years in that country. And it devastated everything. They imprisoned and tortured and killed Christians. It's just, it's a system that is absolutely bankrupt. And God says, if you, if you want to know what life's about, if you want to understand who you are, where you're going, you want the divine pattern, you want the stuff of the kingdom. This is it. Jewish theologian, Abraham Heschel writes, the Sabbath is a day on which we are called upon to show what is eternal in time to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world, and thus to the creator. It's a time to reflect on who made us in his image. It's a time to recapture the divine pattern. It's a time to think deeply about deeper things that go beyond just the now and your Monday morning. Amen? It's a time to reflect on your destiny, on things that transcend everything that you see. You know that $138 billion that Bill Gates has got? He's going to leave it to somebody else. 
And he's going to stand before his creator. And everybody else is as well. And we, we get fooled into thinking that somehow we can preserve and make eternal what is temporal. And God gets eradicated from the equation to our peril. Now, the commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Take a look, because there's a further element I want you to see. The next generation has these re-given to them, Deuteronomy chapter 5, with an added dimension. Yes, they're a reflection on God's majesty of creation, but they also reflect on something else. Just to cut to the chase, look at 5.15. Deuteronomy 5.15, it's the Sabbath command, and it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Something to note, brethren, The Sabbath is a remembrance of creation and redemption. And when we gather on a Lord's Day like this, this is what we remember, our creator and our redeemer. We remember that we lived in our Egypt doing the work of the Pharaoh, that is Satan. We were making his buildings, marching to the beat of his drum, and we were saved by God's mighty hand, by the blood of the lamb, amen? And we are baptized into the sea and brought into the promises and we're heading for the promised land. This is what happens when we gather in the name of our God. We celebrate his creation. We celebrate our redemption every Sunday. And we need it because God is good. Amen? And so we press into our important relationships. We discover emotional rest. We discover that we can encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. We don't treat the day as a normal day because it is special. Dr. Rover Rayburn once told a story of a man who was approached by a beggar on the street. The man reached into his pocket to see what he had and he found seven $1 bills and he felt sorry for the beggar. So he held out six of the bills and said, here you go. Not only did the beggar grab the six dollars, but with the other hand, he struck the benefactor across his face and took the seventh dollar. What do you think about the beggar? There's no point to that story. I just thought it was a cute story. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Basically, this is what we often do. We give God six, but we hold back the seventh. Or we say, I'll give you this much, but that's all. And so this day points to a day that is coming. It's going to be a day of rest, the millennial rest of Christ. You know that each Sabbath, each Lord's Day that we meet is basically a dress rehearsal for a day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When we will enter into our true rest, amen, when we will see him face to face, when he will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. He's preparing us for that day. And each time we gather, we get a little bit closer, if you will, to heaven. And the idea of a new heaven and a new earth is behind it. So the final thing I want to share with you is what does the church do with this? Why is it that the Christian church meets on Sunday instead of Saturday? Pastor Michael, you've been saying that this is a command. Well, one thing I would say to you is that Of the Ten Commandments, nine are repeated in the New Testament. The only one not repeated is the Sabbath day. And here's what happened. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Join Pastor Michael and some of today's top apologists for the Dare to Defend conference. On March 10th and 11th, these speakers will provide real answers to skeptics' toughest questions and equip you with the tools necessary to confront the moral confusion of today's postmodern culture. This year's theme is Keeping the Faith in a Culture of Chaos. Come to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California on March 10th and 11th to hear speakers Detective J. Warner Wallace. The idea that all we have in the universe is random accidents and the laws of physics or chemistry, then we're not going to get to, we're going to see the evidence differently because our presupposition really colors the way we see every piece of evidence in the room. Dr. Hugh Ross. When God created time, he was a causal agent that brought into effect time, which means at a minimum, he's got the equivalent to move and operate in two independent dimensions of time. Back at Cook. And they would say, are you moving? Did you did you meet someone? And, do you have, and I'm like, well, actually, I did meet someone in Jesus. I mean, they were really stunned. And especially when I got to the part about you know, the homosexuality being a sin, some of my friends really got hostile. Dr. Craig Hasten. Sure, this Jesus thing sounds good, but you know, I know nothing about Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism. And how do I know for sure that I've really got the goods? Lenny Esposito. This one conversation shows how much we've confused the motivations for why we believe something with good reasons for believing it. There's only one good reason to believe anything. And that is, if it's true. Monique Dusan. I think the idea that that's funny racism, like they let you into their home and like I was, I came home with PTSD from South Africa and all that. And I think I, I started to really think about like, well, what if it wasn't racist? And Joe Dallas. If you want to punch somebody out and you punch somebody out, you're not struggling with punching somebody out. You are, in fact, punching somebody out. Register for the Dare to Defend conference on walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. So, this day points to a day that is coming. It's going to be a day of rest. The millennial rest of Christ. You know that each Sabbath, each Lord's Day that we meet, is basically a dress rehearsal for a day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When we will enter into our true rest, amen? When we will see him face to face. When he will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. He's preparing us for that day. And each time we gather, we get a little bit closer, if you will, to heaven. And the idea of a new heaven and a new earth is behind it. So, The final thing I want to share with you is what does the church do with this? Why is it that the Christian church meets on Sunday instead of Saturday? Pastor Michael, you've been saying that this is a command. Well, one thing I would say to you is that of the 10 commandments, nine are repeated in the New Testament. The only one not repeated is the Sabbath day. And here's what happened. When Jesus Christ died on the first day of the week, the whole Christian church shifted the day of worship, from Shabbat to Sunday. Now, I'm not saying that if someone wants to worship and keep the Sabbath or keep the Passover, they shouldn't. They can do that as long as they know 
that it's fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. That he is our Sabbath, that he is our Passover. Then all of that fits beautifully, but not to earn your salvation. That's not what this is all about. And so the early church was Jew and Gentile and they became one in Christ. And all of a sudden, can you imagine a Jewish person raised in the Torah, raised in the commandments, sits next to a Gentile person from Rome or Corinth who knows nothing at all about that. They have different days of worship, different diet. How do they come together and get along? Paul writes Romans 14 and basically says, it's not about your diet. It's not about the days of worship. Let each person be convinced in their own mind. Don't stumble one another. Don't judge one another because the Shabbat, the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. You are now one. There is, uh, there's no longer a civil mandate, if you will. There's no longer, it's fulfilled ceremonially. But morally, we gather on the Lord's day to honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mentioned two scriptures to you. You might want to write them down. Acts 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, which indicates the church was meeting on the first day of the week, which, by the way, was a work day. It was the first day of the week, so it was a work day for the church. Everybody went back to work on the first day of the week. It was like our Monday. So the early church met in the evening on Sunday night. MacArthur comments, the early church fathers from Ignatius to Augustine taught that the Old Testament Sabbath had been abolished and the first day of the week, Sunday, was the day when Christians should meet for worship. This disproves the claim of some that Sunday worship was not instituted until the fourth century. B.B. Warfield explained it this way. Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. And then this writer confirms, the civil aspect of the command has expired The ceremonial aspect has been fulfilled, but the moral aspect remains. And to this, the church must set the example. It is the Lord's day. And that's why we gather. Now, if the worship team can hear my voice, I've got one more scripture for you. It's in Colossians chapter two. If you turn over there in the New Testament, we're wrapping it up. And so Paul is talking about, he's addressing kind of a weird Uh, combination of heresies that emerged in the city of Colossae. And in addressing it, he's talking about the cross and we'll get to the main verses, but go back to Colossians 2.14 and notice what it says. Jesus has canceled out the certificate of debt, Colossians 2.14, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, or some versions say by the cross. Therefore, in the light that Jesus bore all of that and they were nailed to the cross, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or what your Bible say? or a Sabbath day. Things which were are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head 
from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Don't be taken in by decrees like, you can't do that, and you can't touch that, and you can't taste that. Take your vacations. Enjoy your life. But in the normal rhythm of life, honor the Lord's day. Amen? Because he loved us first. And so we love him. The writer of Hebrews sums it up by saying, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The one who has entered into his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Father, thank you for the teaching of the Sabbath day. Jesus, thank you that you are our rest. You are my Sabbath. Thank you that you said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, weighed down like that woman in the synagogue, and I, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy. My burden is light. Lord, I pray that you be lifting burdens in this room and the biggest burden that we feel is the weight of our sin. It is on our shoulders, on our back, the weight of guilt. And Jesus, thank you that you came to deal with that. That you bore that weight on the cross. That the one who is our very life and creator came down and bore the weight of our sin so that we could be truly free. We could be free of that of the guilt that goes with it. We could be set free from sin, the wages of sin and death. Thank you that that's what you do, Lord. You free people. You are the Lord of the Sabbath. With your head and heart bowed, would you let the word of God now just settle in your soul? Would you take a, just a moment or two to do what the book of Psalms says is a Selah moment? Let the Lord speak to your heart about maybe things that you need to lay down, perspectives. Maybe for you, it would be the first time that you realize that Jesus came to bear that weight for you. The weight of sin, he bore it at the cross, though he was innocent. He took the wrath of God as though he had broken the commandments. And he wants to give you life and peace and true rest, but you've got to have a moment where you repent and open your heart to him. And there's no perfect prayer, but the essence of it is something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you entered in to this broken world. Thank you for carrying the cross and dying in my place. I'm burdened and things are heavy, but I'm going to trust in you for my salvation. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose from the dead to justify me in God's eyes. I want you to be my Lord and my King. I want to follow the ways of the King and the kingdom. I want my life to have the rhythm of heaven. Would you please forgive me and restore me and give me true rest in Christ? If you're a saint, maybe this has been a heavy season for you. 
I pray that the Lord will lift the burdens off of your shoulders. And you will experience a rest from heaven. The burden-bearing God will refresh you, give you shalom, give you peace. And Father, for every precious person who's gathered on this Lord's Day, may your word continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Fourth Commandment, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael's Ten Commandment teaching series in Exodus chapter 20. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what? We would love it if you would join us this Sunday morning for church service at Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in Corona. Now, you can do that whether you live in Southern California or not. We live stream our 1030 a.m. service. But if you are in the area, we'd prefer if you come in and fellowship with us. You can get service and live stream information when you visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, that more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month. Or you can always give a one-time gift at walkintruth.com. And join us as Pastor Michael continues his teaching series in Exodus 20 about the Ten Commandments. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where, as always, it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.